1: Uh, I am your host, Sam Snelling. We are here for another brand new episode of uh, Dive Cuts, which is our our little basketball podcast. Um, We are on Season 5, Episode 19 already. Um, Season is just breezing right by. We're at the end of January. This is Monday, January 31st. You're probably listening to this on Tuesday, February 1st or thereafter with me, as always, Helping out with this top ten SB Nation College podcast, Matthew J. Harris. Matt, how are you?
0: Uh, I'm well. Uh, we're preparing for uh, 11 to 15 inches of snow this week uh, in Indianapolis, so um, uh, about ready to get buried here. Um, and uh, yeah, looking forward to impromptu snow days in the middle of this week.
1: Yeah the uh, <laughs> the weather is uh, is looking a little ominous, um, and I'm actually kind of wondering if if they're even um, you know gonna go ahead with the game. I, my general take on on weather impacted games is uh, is they they've got some uh, TV time uh, some slots that need to be filled, and so they'll probably play because there's a lot of money uh, at stake, um, and a little little snow's not gonna stop us from from playing some basketball. Uh, but uh, you and I just watched a, a week of Missouri basketball uh, last we gathered. Um, they had uh, lost a close road game uh, to Alabama after uh, beating Mississippi on the road. We knew going into last week that it was going to be a, sort of a tough um, week to, to find a win. Uh, you're hosting Auburn at home. Uh, and going to Iowa State on the road, little did we know that the home game against Auburn would turn out to be the much closer basketball game. Uh, although, you know, far far be it for me to remember a, a game getting away from Missouri and Ames. Um Yeah, you know, but yeah, so they they played well against Auburn. Well, I they defended well against Auburn um and <laughs> turned that into like a mud wrestling match. Uh and and did really pretty well up until like the wheels kind of came off um with about sixteen minutes to play in the second half uh, at Highway State. So do you have any supreme takeaways from the the week that was? um the defense is giving
0: them a puncher's chance for stretches of games now um, which is it for conzo that's it. it it's vaguely reassuring that, that one of his hallmarks of his programs are is kind of trying to make an appearance there. Um, it's just really, really hard for this team at this point to to really sort of sustain that sort of level of intensity uh, for quite a while. They tried it Tuesday. Um, you saw what happens when that uh, does hold up for 40 minutes. They did a fantastic job with the scout and with executing it against uh, Auburn and, and really a team that plays with good pace, their modified flex offense is is really tough to stop. They did a nice job, I think, putting a guy like Jabari Smith in spots on the floor where he doesn't like to operate. I um, thought they did a good job selectively playing with pace off their defense to try and flatten out Auburn before they could get set. Um, it was a good game plan. Um, so I think that, that and to see them execute it and and in the sort of environment that you know is all too uncommon in Columbia, uh, these days, it was it was good to sort of see all those pieces come together. Um, we can talk about the timeout in Broglio in a minute, but um, just I think overall you have to be heartened by the effort there. That could have been a regression game coming off of a tough loss at Bama, but they geared up, they got a, a, an otherwise solid performance, and then in Ames, um that's a bad matchup for Missouri the way Iowa State defends what they want to do and how Missouri's base offense is sort of built is a bad fit for a team that wants to eat you up on side ball screens and a lot of Missouri's offense is in side ball screens um so that was a bad matchup there um Iowa State had the scout nailed on Kobe Brown um and on Amari Davis Javon Pickett uh was not available for long stretches after appearing to uh, bang his head. And it's, I think, as you said, pre-pod, it's problematic when Javon Pickett being absent uh, causes your offense to be that poor for long stretches. So um, defensively saw some improvement, but offensively this, this team is just so limited and not last week only reinforced that. So uh, a mixed bag, so to speak
1: yeah I mean, it is nice, uh, and I think one of the things that you know, kind of going into the season that uh, I you know, I don't want to say made as positive about the future of the team. I think we were pretty realistic that this team was probably going to be pretty limited. um you know, but if you're looking for reasons to hope, it was like, well, you know, Kansa Martin has always sort of fielded uh really pretty good defensive ball clubs um and then they just came out for like the first you know, three quarters of the games that have been played so far and we're just not good defensively. Um, you know, and so that's like raises all kinds of flags. Like what, you know, what's going on here? And I think even, you know, you and I have kind of talked about it in private uh, when it comes to, you know, like what was Konzo going to do to sort of be more successful? Well, he needed to take the sort of blueprint that he had built, you know, toughness, defensive rebounding. And he need to be able to evolve on offense. And I feel like as he's evolved on offense, they've lost this identity of being like a blue collar defensive team and and really defending teams well, Um, you know, and and I just don't think that he's really quite had a, uh, you know, a good consistent defensive team since he's been here. As I pull up the adjusted defensive numbers, they were 43rd his first year, 51st, 71st, 57th. And now they're 130th. And so my, my sort of thought going into the year was if they can field a top 100 level defense, you know, top 75. So their worst team was in year three at 71st. Um, if they're able to do that, uh, and I think they have, they've got enough things that they can do offensively to, to at least be respectable. Um, you know, not, not as bad as they were in the non-conference schedule. Um, so you know it's sort of interesting to see like maybe some of those light bulbs kind of going off and um, you know and and things improving on that side of the ball. It's still not quite you know where it needs to be and, and not quite good enough. Um, you know, but improvement is certainly happening in some degree. Yeah, uh,
0: there. If you look at the conference only numbers on Kim Palm, they're third in effective field goal percentage defense, second in the conference for three point defense. Fourth and two point defense. Um, their thirteenth overall in efficiency. Uh, what hurts them is the fact they don't cause a lot of, they don't create a lot of takeaways. And as we saw against Auburn, that you can, and to a degree against Alabama, and which you noted in study hall, you can absolutely abuse this team on the glass. It's it's really really stunning how how and even Iowa State, a team that didn't have a ton of didn't have a major size advantage was able to outreap, outwork them on the glass. Um, I think the other thing that, you know, we saw too is, you know, this, this team has one rim protector in Trevin Brazil, but they're still 11th in block rate. So there's this team can defend a little bit. I think on the primary shot, they do a good job. I think if they can load up, but man, if you get on the glass against them or you get to the cup, um, they're, they might value, you or you're going to be able to get a second opportunity and it doesn't matter how well you defend initially if you're giving up 8 9 10 second possessions a game and teams are getting 11 more shots than you um it you're, it's just hard to win games that way so i think the primary defensive possessions have been have been better but this team still has roster deficiencies elsewhere um doesn't help too when we saw against Alabama, you know against Iowa State when you're just cu- when you're having so many turnovers, not even a lot of them live ball turnovers, when you're just giving away those kind of possessions, it just puts more pressure on that defense to hold up. So if this were a normal year where, you know, ball handling was average and they had even average rebounding, you might say, okay, there's some progress here, but this team, like you said in study hall, it just leaks possessions everywhere. And that, that's just makes it hard even if you are doing a better job for the most part on defense, there's just the possession volume just gets so big that you can't overcome it. So I think that that's sort of the lingering takeaway too.
1: Well, I think it's kind of interesting. Uh, you know, so I've got Missouri's Ken Palm page and, and one of the things that I've always liked about Ken Palm is, uh, you know, at least especially back when I was still previewing, uh, you know, Josh is doing a, a good job of uh, you know previewing all the opponents, but one of the benefits of of doing a preview is you can actually just pull up a team page and see like what the depth chart looks like over the last five games. Uh, for that, Missouri, like Kobe Brown, is playing like seventy nine percent of the minutes over the last five games at the five spot. Uh, you know, I guess you could debate whether he or Ryan DeGray are actually playing the five. They interchange it a lot. Um, It's really it's like we always say. Who
0: are guarding? Ryan DeGray's guarding centers, so I can say yeah. Ryan
1: DeGray guards more centers. Kobe Brown, you know, does guard more more forwards, you know, but but Kobe does guard his fair share of centers, and so you've got forty three percent of the minutes at power forward for Ryan DeGray, uh, seventy nine percent uh, center for Kobe and and like Kobe's listed at six, eight. I think that's a stretch. Ronnie's listed at six, six. That seems about right. Yeah. And so you're just asking like just two undersized guys and guys that were probably more at home to, to being in that more kind of combo forward role, um, to, you know, guarding bigger dudes. And, and so, and that, that slides down all the way down the lineup. So, it's uh, as, as we said before, it's, it's one of the deficiencies of the roster is, you know, and you look at like who they, uh, they tried to kind of bring in the off season with, um, you know, at least with the freshmen and one of those freshmen is already gone and that he was one of the guys who actually had good, uh, you know, size for his position uh, and, you know, Trevin's kind of the same way, like Trevin's like a six, nine, you know, combo forward uh, you know, Brookshire is a little under, undersized at, at the the combo guard spot, but uh, you know, Yaya's got solid size at six eight or six nine, and um, so yeah, I mean, I I think uh, I think part of it is the roster construction. You know, Konzo's really kind of in his in his history had a had a lot of big dudes on his roster, and and he just doesn't have that with this roster.
0: Yeah, yeah, and. If you looked at that page, too, like people say, oh, Kobe Brown's got a 20% defensive rebound rate. This is why I wish we had like second spectrum stats, which they have in the NBA, because you can measure contested rebound rate. Like you, uh, this is not a a slight at Kobe because somebody's got to go get them, go get the ball. But teams bail out on Missouri at times too, just to keep them out of transition to set their defense. So Kobe can get some uncontested boards and kind of juice that number a little bit. I'd be curious what the roster's contested rebound rate looks like. I'm sure it would not be good for a lot of them. Like Dejuan Gordon's actually a pretty good rebounder for a guard at about 13%, 14% on the defensive glass. Um, Ryan DeGray's round average probably around like 12%. Everyone else is meh. Like it's there's just not a lot of, and that was sort of a thing that you could at least sneakily count on the last couple of years was Missouri's guards were pretty good rebounders the last couple of years. So they could yeah. sort of. Drew and Mark. Drew and Mark. Yeah. And and if, so if Tilly went and sat. And really even, even X, X was a.
1: a X would stick his a, nose in. And despite, despite his. Uh, frame. <laughs> his frame is actually a pretty good rebounder.
0: Yeah. So the, like when Tilly would go to the bench last year and maybe you had to play a little smaller, you still had three guards on the floor that could go get you 50, 50 balls, especially long rebounds. Uh, Missouri doesn't really have that right now, so um, roster deficiencies are there, um, but the other thing that stands out is obviously it's been talked to death, I don't know how long we'll spend on it, it's just the decision uh, to let the final 35 seconds play out on Tuesday. Um, we all, as armchair coaches, have reached a consensus that a uh, there, there should have been a foul earlier in that possession. Some might have said right away at 30, some may have said let it play out to 12, but all of us, the armchair coaches of America, have decided that it's uh, that a foul probably would have been warranted earlier in that possession.
1: I- I- I'm sure. So my my general approach with this is if it is under a minute and you are behind, like you should foul. Like the other team has the possession, you are under a minute. You do not want to waste clock.
0: Time is your ally.
1: It is. Um, it is the most important yeah. commodity. I mean. Like within, within reason. So like, obviously down a point, okay, maybe you let that bleed a little closer, but the main thing that you want to maintain is, is clock. So if, if you foul somebody and, and so I was one of the guys, I'm, I'm on board once Pickett buried that three, they should have fouled right away. Now, if you don't want Wendell green, taking those free throws, then you trap him and force an easy out and you make him give up the ball. Yeah. You give up the ball, foul the next guy. Um, but you know, if, so if you foul 28 seconds, and they make both shots. You have 20 set, 28 seconds to either go get a two and extend the game or get a three point attempt and try to tie the game. Right. But taking it all the way down to five seconds and I really like. I think you guys were kind of saying, "Oh, like maybe you kind of run some traps, and then if it if it gets down to like twelve, then you foul." I like no, I because I think if you foul at twenty eight, you're probably gonna get the ball back again after you already had that possession again. Yeah. So you're gonna you keep, like you can you can get multiple possessions, and and Missouri doesn't score that well. Auburn, if you foul the right guys, not a great free throw shooting team. Um, you know, so if, if you can coax a mix, a miss on that, that first set, then you, you go down and get a two and you can tie the game, but yeah, you know, that's not the decision that they made. And so one of the things, and I, I want to kind of continue, uh, on this and I'll kind of get your thoughts on it. One of the things that somebody was sort of pointing out to me is, uh, and I agree with this, um, having been the assistant, um, like it's the assistant's coach's job really yeah to 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 speak up in those situations yeah. um to re- kind of remind coach. a lot of the head coaches get really caught up in in the action um I've played for and been around <laughs> coaches that sometimes you have to remind them what what the clock says what the score is and who's got how many fouls and like that so that's that's your job as an assistant coach so i actually put a lot of that and granted, this is also on on because ultimately it's it's his it call. is his responsibility, but he needs to make sure that his assistants know like like what their strategy is within like the last couple minutes, and that's a conversation that you have.
0: You have that at the under four, you know,
1: like they have these th- yeah they have these long media timeouts where you spend like a minute talking to your assistants and then a minute talking to your players. Like people think that they're in this timeout for all the time you're talking to your players. No. The the players know what they're gonna do. Like you've had two days of practice to talk about it. You're you're prepared. You're going back what they what 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 you don't have is you don't have in-game strategy and that's what you use a lot of the the early minutes of those those timeouts for.
0: Yeah. Usually you probably come back and you just remind guys, hey, we're doing you know, when we come down, we're getting into this action because they can't handle this or we're running or this is what our coverage is on this play we call this, this is what we're doing for this pick and roll coverage. Like it's just reminders over everything off the scout. Usually like if it's like final two minutes, yeah, you're going to see the whiteboard come out, but like having sat close enough to listen to timeouts, a lot of it, I think fans would be like, that's why these guys make millions of dollars is just to like utter, like, (laughs) right. Just repeat that they were fans would be stunned. How often playing
1: hard. Can got they, a boxer guy out
0: just it's like the most <laughs> rudimentary stuff and they just scream it and repeat it it's but yeah. no the, the real fun though is like to talk to the assistants afterwards like what are you guys talking about the under four well we were doing this because they were absolutely killing us in this set so we wanted to do this and like that that first minute of the of the media timeouts where all the fun stuff happens and then just coming back and yelling at guys to remind them to do the most basic things but yeah
1: i i to yeah, me, if X player gets the ball, don't like, don't forget, you got to force him to his left. Yeah, like, it's like, it's all it's really like, it's the most basic stuff. Yeah, it's it's
0: really not like rocket science here. We're not having like a coach's clinic in the huddle at like the under four.
1: Um, it's really, yeah. So all like all the complicated stuff happens before the game. And this is one of the things like I really think fans like overestimate, you know, the the value of like in game coaching. Um, you know, because there's not a lot that you're actually doing (laughs) like in the game other than yelling at guys and trying to remind them of what you'd already talked about.
0: The best thing was Um, if you could ever see the whiteboard from pregame, because that's where like it's all scouting notes, it's like all filled with like the most fundamental scouting. Like you probably the guys probably went through walk, they had film, they went through a walkthrough. Maybe you printed out a one or two page scout for their guy, maybe depending on what program you're in. And then you'll walk in. You may just see a bunch of crap scrawled on a whiteboard. It's all that stuff is happening before. But when they get out there, it's like, hey, we're just going to kind of roll with it. And we're just going to remind you. But in that final like timeout situation, I would have maybe wanted to trap a little bit or at least try and trap off the first inbound just to see if you catch them a little bit. Because Missouri had been, they'd kind of, they'd selectively ramped up ball pressure. Like the pickup point at times is around half court. I maybe would have thrown on the trap just to see what they do with it, but then drop out of it quick. Like maybe if you get a pass at the corner, you trap it, but then you're bailing out and you're fouling. Or if you get a timeout call and they go and they get to the midline, maybe you trap off that first inbound. If you get it to a corner, like if you got an easy trap, take it, but, or you're trapping to do what you said, which is you want to give an easy outlet to a crappier free throw shooter. Um, if you feel like you think you can get the, the turnover, Um, maybe you try and take it down a little bit to 10 or 12 because I get why Missouri did it because they were having success in transition, flattening out Auburn and beating Kessler down the floor. So they weren't having to make rim finishes with a guy there in the paint in the restricted area. So I get, I I get all that rationale, but I think that where I get lost is the idea that like, okay, we're going to take it down to five we've been getting like somebody on the stat sheet, like somebody, whether it's the ops guy or one of the stat, the assistant should be going a uh, coach. They're like plus 12 on us on the defense, unlike <laughs> the offensive glass. They're killing us. Like we're, yeah. we're not going to get the, you know, we need to, I get what you're saying here and it makes sense, but are we even going to get the rebound for one and say, you're getting the ball off the glass at five, you got to secure, you've got to now push and sprint to your lane. Like, five seconds is a tight window for that. Like if you take it down. So that to me was the, where the breakdown happened. Like if there had been 50 seconds left and you're going to try and get the board with 15 seconds, maybe you play it out because you're going to have some wiggle room on that. But where they were with just the amount of time left didn't make sense. I, especially when you're getting killed on the glass and I think they had Brazil on the bench for that. They had Brazil out for that. So you have an undersized lineup on the floor anyway. So, it just it didn't make a lot of sense there, personnel-wise. Um, yeah, maybe you cause a free throw, armor gets a put back off it, that's fine. But still, you fouled early enough, you're going to get possessions out of it. Plus, with no timeout, while that guy's at the line, you could have called somebody over, and you could have said to Amari or whoever your ball handler was, okay, we're going to try, if they give us this look, we're going to run this. if we're go- If they drop into this, we're going to have this set you can try and steal some time there to use it as a short timeout so you can get a play-in that you want. And then that guy can come back and you can come down. You can at least run some action that you want there rather than trying to make a playoff transition. So, yeah, just... I I, I think I would have fouled earlier. Maybe you give some wiggle room to force a trap, but uh, you just can't let it go all the way down there. It, it, it relied on too many things going perfectly for a team that uh, doesn't rebound particularly well and you know, has, has struggled offensively. I would have wanted to give myself as much of an opportunity to run something I liked and, and, you know, maybe have an opportunity
1: to extend the game. So did you see, uh, I don't know, that there are some videos being shared by some Mizzou fans uh, regarding, um, you know, the, the two of the more decisive plays that Katie uh, Johnson had, Executed the first being, of course, you know, jumping into Boogie Coleman to draw the foul. But the one that I didn't actually notice in, in, uh, in, like live action, but is pretty noticeable, um, on the replay is, is he shuffled his feet on that second layup. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and traveled.
0: The, the block charge thing is, is you, you, you our team get rid of the charge. Um, I'm fine keeping some. Well,
1: like, you, yeah, there's there's no reason why you should be able to jump into a defender right, right. Like, in that situation to me, and get the foul called. Like, that's, that's a terrible call. Yeah, to me, that, like,
0: I don't mind if the offensive player initiates some contact, but if the defender stays vertical and has that right to that airspace, then you have the right to initiate a bump, but if they play with verticality and don't come down on you, like, if they don't swipe down, play on. Like you tried to initiate because like we tell what do you, we tell drivers all the time? Take your shoulder to their chest, close the space and try and finish like that's fine. We tell a guy, we tell offensive players, we drill them on that. But if the defender stays straight up, let it go. Like we're making basketball plays here. And if Katie converts that, what you know, if that goes in great, don't give him the foul. You made a tough finish, man. Good for you. Now, now get back and defend. Um, I saw the shuffle one. <sighs> refs are gonna miss stuff like that like I'm not making excuses for them but you, you've been courtside I've been courtside like the speed at which this stuff moves you know it's, it's inevitable there's gonna be a shuffle like that's gonna get missed to me the charge is more egregious because I think you can see KD almost loading up to go into it and like I don't know the whistle was a little late for me too I, I hate the the whistle coming when it's like okay the shot didn't go down now we're gonna blow it like if it's a charge on the play, blow it as soon as it gets there. Like it's either a foul or it's not. And the outcome of the play is irrelevant. So I I get the shuffling of the feet, but to me the charge is probably the more egregious of the two. You know, we've got a you know, it's a physical sport. I understand there's gonna be contact. Drivers should be able to play with a little bit of bump and but defenders stay straight up. No harm, no foul. Let's let it go on. Good finish. And we're we're gonna go come back down to the floor. But to wait for the late whistle and then just to say, okay, yeah, there was contact there. We're going to defer to the offensive player. I've I've never supported that, and I don't think I ever will be deferential to that degree.
1: Yeah, and, and one of the reasons why I will always, like, try to refrain from really, like, pinning games on the rest. Like, I I will say the officiating... Uh, and that Alabama game was was horrific. it was not good um I thought I thought overall I mean I, like look they they missed calls on both sides um it sucks uh that they you know missed some calls from Missouri <laughs> down the stretch uh and and it and it you know benefited Auburn but truthfully like I mean, if you're if you're the conference solidarity type, like it's better for Auburn to beat Missouri than <laughs> for Missouri to beat Auburn. From an SEC standpoint, like Auburn's a legitimate you know one seed right now, uh, and that's better for the league uh, to you know. And I think them being as good as they've been this year uh, has has helped elevate the yes, SEC. I think it's like third in the Ken yeah. ratings, um, you know, which is and they what they just you know took the SEC Big 12 challenge so yeah i mean like i it it stinks um i like i i don't look at those you know two plays as what cost missouri i i certainly think there were the, plenty of you know, box the, outs the, missed that the cost decision.
0: missouri <laughs> like
1: just yeah like i mean devin cambridge absolutely murdered them um with as many offensive rebounds as he got i want to I want to say there are at least two or three that were really, really key offensive yeah. rebounds, extending plays for them. Um, Devin Cambridge had nine offensive Dude, rebounds, like I much and respect- zero defensive much rebounds. Much respect to Devin that?
0: Cambridge getting not doing the work there. That guy, he
1: he 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 boards. Uh, he's got a pretty elite uh, offensive rebound rate. I think he did kind of the same thing. To Oklahoma, had some really kind of key offensive rebounds. He did it against Alabama, uh, you know.
0: That guy just just works his ass off on the class. So I'll give I'll give him props and as much love as possible. That as an if you were neutral, it was it. I love watching guys who work that hard. Like just it's there's something about like guys who show up and want to do that kind of work. And there's an art to it, and you know, understanding angles and how it comes off, and you know, being that competitive. So props to
1: him. And the guy's like a, a junior too, right? Yeah, like, yeah, he's got he's got another year left. But this was—he's been in the starting lineup, and
0: I, I guess now back out of it. Yeah, I think this is just a stretch where to, you know, it's been written about by other outlets. You know, you, you let a game go against A and M, you let a game go against Bama where you had a chance against Auburn. I don't really throw the Iowa State game into that mix. You know, Missouri was leading, but the game flow in that was pretty weird. Um, I never felt like,
1: even, even if they were able to sort of maintain, uh, like a within striking distance and not let them kind of open it up the way they did. I still don't think that's a game that, that they were going to win. No, you know, like Iowa state was always going to make a few extra shots.
0: And and I thought Iowa state did a good job countering everything Missouri wanted to do. I I thought, you know, that you'd, Missouri found some traction, like between the ten minute and the the ten minute mark and the under four timeout. Iowa State came out of that media timeout, and just snuffed out what Missouri was doing. Missouri went away from some side ball screen action to running. I think it's usually like I think it's a square, like a corner of a square that they hold up when they run it. It's basically a middle ball screen with a pick and pop action. Iowa State just started trapping the middle ball screen, and it was like okay, we can't run that anymore. Um, and then just. The 8-0 run before the break, and Iowa State kind of figured out what Missouri wanted to do offensively. They were trapping in Kobe wherever he wanted to get the ball into spots. Missouri wasn't able, because of the icing action that Iowa State runs on the side, they couldn't really get Amari turning toward the elbow out of the slot. Just there was no Javon Pickett there to kind of be a release valve. You know, when the offense is relying on Dejuan Gordon hitting jumpers, Jeron Coleman... You know, right? You know, wriggling his way to the bucket, and Ronnie DeGray, you know, piecing some stuff together. That's just not a solution for, you know, getting a win in AIM. So I I didn't feel like that was a game that really got away from them. But you know, A and M, Alabama, and Auburn, you flip two of those results. You know, A and M and Alabama at the very minimum. You know, it's a five hundred a team that's at five hundred overall, a team that's at four and three in the SEC, and you know going into a, a softer stretch we can talk about florida and and you know the return date to a&m but you flip two of them and suddenly you're looking at a team that's coming into the home stretch with a chance to look at 500 you know overall and maybe get to seven eight wins in conference so you know the last two weeks have been yeah you're, you're
1: you're pulling as we like to call it a, a frank martin
0: yeah yeah you are you are you are now annoying the living crap out of all your colleagues. <laughs> and the worst part is your your net rating is so bad that even if you're playing better, you're still a quad three loss on their resume. It's the beauty. It's the beauty of the Frank Martin method to be just good enough to save his job, but crap all over your tournament resume. It's 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 a wonderful balance to strike, <laughs> but Frank Martin's mastered it.
1: Well, what's funny is like even so as Missouri, uh, I think they're when they hit two and three, I was like, you know, like every year there's a team that's absolute like just shit in the non conference, <laughs> and then they get to SEC play and they win like like eight games or nine games. You're like, what is going on? Like a couple of years ago, it was Texas A and M. I think it was was that Buzz's first yeah, it was year. Buzz's first year. Yeah, when they won, like they won like ten games, and they were terrible. Like their 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 net for conference play, like they were still like at a uh, they were like one seventeen in Kimbalm when they got to the end of that year. They
0: yeah, they were ten and eight in conference and one seventeen in Kimbalm.
1: But if you just looked at their net for conference play, like they were still like a net minus eighteen in conference play. Like they were getting blown out when they lost. And then just, but they won all these close games. That's the Frank Martin <laughs> school, like, baby. And, the Frank Martin. Right. So it's school. just like if you. So that's what I'm saying is like Frank Martin at South Carolina. They've been to one NCAA tournament there. He's been there a decade, and one NCAA tournament, and four wins, five wins, six wins, eleven wins, twelve wins, seven wins, eleven wins, ten wins. So that's what so the, the 11 12 7 11 10 is what he did from 2016 through 2020. And they were trash last year, had to deal with COVID. They're four and four this year, 99th in Kempom. <laughs> like they're they're going to win like nine or 10 games again this year.
0: Yeah. It's it's a magical method there. Um it's
1: it's funny. But yeah, so but but pivoting back to Missouri and their schedule. Uh it it does get uh easier, but also keep in mind that a lot of teams are looking at Missouri on their schedule and thinking, "Ooh, that's a game we can win."
0: Yeah. Um Florida is in a bad way right now. Um I think they lost uh Jason Jatobo of a uh backup center for the year to eye surgery. Colin Castleton's been out like the last 6 or 7 games and CJ Felder is coming back off an injury, but only played two minutes uh, last weekend against Oklahoma State. So their front court is um, absolutely beaten to a pulp right now. That's good if you're Missouri, because if that group was fully healthy, man, you'd worry about that problem on the glass. It's So it may not be as big of a problem now. Um, Florida is what we have always thought they were, which is a team that has enough talent to be a team that should not be at 41st in kinpom but they are um they have not beaten a team inside the kinpom top 25 since ohio state back in november uh just they've taken losses to the likes of texas southern uh a slumping maryland team early on then they took they
1: got whipped by
0: texas southern yeah they got they got handled in gainesville by texas southern um, but Texas Southern, to its credit, is is likely going to be king of the swack. Uh, Johnny Jones
1: re- so, rebooting it. I was going to say that's Johnny Jones, isn't it? That's JJ
0: baby back in Texas.
1: Gotta got, in- got love Johnny, Johnny Jones coming back to haunt Mike He's White. He's back in
0: H Town and feasting on them H Town transfers, baby Johnny Jones. Um, so Maryland has <laughs> has punted on the year when Mark tertian quit. Like they beat South Carolina in columbia they've got home wins over mississippi state and vanderbilt got shellacked at at ole miss got uh blew a lead at tennessee held on to beat oklahoma state last weekend but there's a team that should not be
1: sitting they were down bad in that game they were yeah, uh, they, they to, i want to say like down
0: yeah they were or down 16. 15 or 16 in that one so this is a team that's scuffling as well they have three front court guys out um so they're also a team that's old but don't have a ton of continuity you know it if you're gonna pick a team off this might be it you know tyree appleby and Flanders fleming are playing pretty well as bad you know as you know i think dual combo guards myron jones has probably not been kind of the player that i thought he would be as a stabilizing force at point uh, Brandon McKissick is, you know, defending moderately well, but um, not shooting the ball well. The The three part of the 3 and D equation isn't happening there. DeRuji's still kind of jack of all trades, but yeah, Castleton's been out for a bit. You know, they don't have Tobo or Felder that they can really sort of go to right now. So it, it may be a, a small lineup with Anthony DeRuji as as your center for them. And if that's the case, with four guards, all you know, six six or smaller, that that that's a pretty solid situation for Missouri, if you know to to face, especially in, in Columbia where they've had some success against Florida and Mike White. So, uh,
1: if you're looking, f- and it's gonna it, so there's, there's going to be a snowstorm. The last snowstorm game was LSU. Going to be, yeah. There's probably not going to be a lot of people in the building, but uh, Missouri's used to that. Florida's not.
0: Yeah. Uh, so this is a game for. <laughs> this is a good pickup opportunity, um, and I would have said that before the season because nobody likes to finish ten and eight more than Mike White does, and you know what, Mike's Mike's uh, on track for that again. Um, only nicked up, so th- that's a pickup opportunity. A and M has cooled a bit uh, after it. Their hot start, uh, they've lost. <laughs> That close loss to Kentucky kicked off a four-game losing streak, uh, where they lost at Arkansas in overtime, in a wild rally. That game was nuts. Arkansas had to come back and win that. They lost the one at LSU. They had like three shots at the rim to win it in the final minute and bricked them all. And then they took a loss out of Carolina uh, this last Saturday because those teams weren't in the at at home at home, at home to Carolina. You can't have that happen. So they're, they're scuffling a bit now. Um, so this is a, a good pickup opportunity for Missouri. If you know, we'll see if, if the, if they get the same kind of hot start, they did, but you're right. This is a week where you got to pick up a win. The, the conditions are right. Two teams that are kind of stumbling a bit. One that's, ha- that's seen its momentum cool off and one that's got injuries that kind of level the playing field for you. Personnel wise that, now's a good time to get a win maybe two if you're Missouri um and frankly you know we can talk about this a little bit um if if you're this staff if you can pick up two wins here and get back to four and five you know you're coming down the home stretch with a chance to you know I thought this team was going to be 14 and 16 or 13 and 17 you're starting to have a conversation where it's pretty comparable
1: yeah so I think one of the things I was uh, I think I said it on Twitter, I actually looked at Martin's um, run here at Missouri. He's never lost more than four games in a row. Um, if they they're they're at three right now. Yep. so they've lost four games, I believe a couple times. Um, they lost three games twice in a row and and eighteen. Uh, they lost four games in 19, four games in 20 uh, and three games in 21. So that's the most that they've they've lost is is basically four games. Uh, so far this year, like this is the longest losing streak that they've been on. I mean it's been ugly. Uh, but they've always kind of found a way to to bounce back and get a win. Now, it helps when you're coming off Wichita State and you get to play Paul Quinn. Or um, coming off Liberty you know, and you helps get when you're, to Illinois. <laughs> yeah, like it's easier to to like, you know, quell those, um, those losing streaks against bad opponents. Uh, you know, but they lost two games. They beat Alabama. They lost two games. They went on the road and beat Ole Miss. So they're at three losses now, and they get Florida at home and Texas A&M on the road. Uh, and if konza Martin wants to sort of, you know, make a case that uh, he should be the guy to lead this program into the future, uh, you have to win one of these two games like you cannot, you cannot be in year five and have your longest losing streak. You know, like it, I realize there's a lot of fans that are going to point to a whole lot of other things that you can't do in year five. Da, 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 da. and that's fine like i'm i don't necessarily disagree with that um but if you're Conzo martin and you're trying to make a case that you deserve next year like you you can't be losing you know five six seven games in a row like you've got to stop this losing streak uh and i i think either you got to beat Florida, or you got to beat texas a&m um otherwise you know like going on the road and beating vanderbilt at vanderbilt's like, I realize Vanderbilt's not great, but winning road games is hard. Yeah. Like, it's it's hard to win on the road. They've got really, realistically, uh, you, six
0: pickup opportunities here. They've got Florida.
1: Like, yeah. You've you got Ole Miss at home, like, in two Saturdays. And you don't think, like, they're not going to come in a little motivated uh, to, to beat you after you just stomp them at their place? Um, they'll be healthy this time, too. So, so like right, uh, I I think like that's when you're talking about okay like how how do you survive the season? How do you you know find something to, to build upon? You gotta go out and you gotta find a way to win one of these two games. Yeah.
0: realistically, you've got Florida A and M this week. Like I we said, they're they're both sort of struggling. You get Vandy, tough. It is a road game, but Missouri's done okay under Martin. Kind of in in Nashville, you get Ole Miss at home. That's a sub 100 game in Camp- Palm. A little bit of a tough stretch, you know. You got to go. You get, but you do get Arkansas in a return game. Arkansas has looked vulnerable at times this year. Mississippi State has been picked off a couple of times. You get them at home, and then you get Carolina and Georgia at home. There are probably opportunities for four wins here. If you can get to six and twelve in this conference, you know fans are going to say twelve and nineteen is not great, but it if you can do that, you're probably going to have avoided getting into Kim Anderson territory here. Um, the other thing that if you're looking for how Missouri is going to finish, it's Kim Palm rating has stabilized or gone up slightly because Missouri's had close losses against good teams. The way Kim Palm works in terms of, you know, Missouri's stabilized its point margin and it's getting the benefit of the, you know, the adjusted and adjusted efficiency margin by playing good teams. That goes out the window right now. I think I calculated it earlier today if Missouri has basically the same scoring margin moving forward against this part of the schedule, it would drop 10 spots in Kimpom. So how Missouri looks during this stretch matters as much as the results too. like, if you, you know, it's one thing to like have some close losses against Alabama, Auburn, Iowa state, you know, those are games where you can point and say, okay, that's progress, but close losses to a Carolina, heaven forbid Georgia, but Georgia got Bama, the most schizophrenic team in America, in Athens last week. This is a week where I think this is a time of the year where you have to start showing actual improvement on the floor. How you're playing is better and you're getting results that you can point to that say, you know, it was a brutal start to conference play. We had some opportunities, we dropped there, but man, when the schedule turned our favor, we, we capitalized and we got some wins. We showed that this team can make progress. We know there's got to be some fixes to this roster, maybe in other areas of the program, but we didn't let go of the rope. We got this thing stabilized enough, and we had a modest amount of improvement. So that's what starts right now. And like we said a couple weeks ago, um, this is sort of the part of the schedule where we maybe render a little bit more of a verdict than we do about how they look against Alabama or Auburn. You know, if you're Missouri, you know, I would have said this in the preseason, I would have said it, you know, I did say it after they, you know, were getting hammered by the likes of Liberty on the road or Kansas. This is the part of the schedule where Martin's got to show we have a core that's coming together. We know we have to make some changes to the roster, find a point guard, maybe find a traditional rim protector, but we've we know what we've got to do, but we've found some pieces and some ways to at least stabilize things. If they can't get results here, I don't know how tenable the argument is. You know, that's going to be up to the athletic director. You know, I'm looking at it right now. There's, there's evidence you can use to make a persuasive case either way, but the on court results matter over the next 10 to 11 games. There's no tournament birth here, but the staff can now have a part of the schedule where it can say, look, we knew we were going to probably be in the bottom of the SEC and rebuild, but against light teams, we we showed some progress and some growth. So
1: we'll see if they can do it. We will see if they can do it. Um, as usual, uh, so I always like yeah you know, the the Kim Anderson territory. Go out and get get a win this week, and you've won nine games. Uh, Kim Anderson bested that. Um, what nine games with ten to play? Yeah, Kim Anderson bested that win total once. <laughs> like Let's slow the roll. Like this, this year has been bad. This is like historically bad for Missouri. Re- realistically, but let's 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 put Kim Anderson in perspective. Um, so you and I, uh, we're gonna watch these games and we're gonna see what happens. Um. I think they get a win. I really do. Uh I don't know which game it's going to be, but I I'm going to th- think they get at least one.
0: Uh, my guess my better judgment I'm saying Florida just cuz I got no trust in Mike White man. Take down the Gators. I got no
1: trust in Mike White. You know this. Yeah. You know this. I like I we've talked about this plenty on the pod. We are we are this is not uh, a a Mike White um fan pod. It is uh, a Mike White's skeptic podcast.
0: Mike White should be glad that he coaches at a school where baseball arguably might be the number two sport. Like, uh, I feel like almost any other like serious basketball school with Florida's run under Billy Donovan would have been like, "Ah, eh, it's year eight, and we're finishing seventh or eighth in the conference. Maybe we want to go get somebody else." Like, because.
1: W- I mean, this program was winning national championships, like, 15 years ago. Yeah. That's not that long ago. Like, there's a reason they still recruit well. It's because, you know, people remember, like, national championships, you know, like, first-round draft picks. That's not that long ago. And now they're 41st um, in Bum. So, uh, yeah. And that's, like, that's it's been about the average. Like, you know, they're, they're never terrible. They're also never good. Um, they were pretty good that second year, year. but those were like most what
0: third year, but it was still heavily, um, Billy Donovan's group, Billy Donovan, when he left for Oklahoma city, I think still had a pretty youth heavy roster. And then Mike, and that was the second,
1: the second year they were protected. Okay.
0: Yeah. Uh, One of the, it was either two or three, year 2 or 3 but they still had some remnants of Billy's guys there and then yeah the the roster where they had I'm um, Kerry Blackshear in that group probably should have been in protected seed category and were not so
1: um yeah that was like Chioza and Devin Robinson yeah and they they were
0: they were they were pretty good and they did not uh they did not capitalize so yeah we are not
1: Mike White uh boosters here and then lost lost to south carolina in the the elite eight <laughs> god bless frank martin mike's life oh he just ruins everything doesn't he <laughs> yeah. mike's life so mike's uh, life could at least like in, in the best way possible
0: mike's life could at least say look at the depth of our conference <laughs> that's what mike's life could say that year look at the yeah. depth of talent in the sec south carolina to a final four but uh yeah it's um, it's a good week, and we're going to keep cranking out film rooms. I don't know if anybody's looking at them a lot, but we're going to watch games and then cut up more uh, film of them.
1: They're getting some traffic. If, yeah, if you're not already, like, if you want to kind of know, like, what Missouri is doing on offense, it, it it's helpful to – to read through the film room posts, uh, you know, uh, the other Matt uh, does a good job. So, yep. and you, Matt, do a good job of helping him get the clips there.
0: Yep, yep. Uh, God bless him for taking 15 clips a game and breaking them down. It's, it's it's work I don't have to do. He's he's taking that burden off my shoulders, of, right of doing all the film breakdown. Um, and it helps that it, we usually agree on like 90% of the clips. So uh, that's that's even that's even better
1: when minds are alike. So we are gonna get out of here. Um make sure that you are subscribed and blah 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 and all that kind of stuff. Um and uh Nate and BK are back. They're gonna record more regularly. I think that's exciting for, for everybody. Uh, You don't have to listen to just us two dummies talk about basketball. There's football. And football's actually had a pretty productive uh, start to the offseason. So go check out their most recent pod. I believe that dropped last Thursday. Um, This Matt and I will be back next Monday to talk about what happened uh, against Florida and against Texas A&M. And we will preview uh, the upcoming week as well. which will be an exciting week of playing Bandy and Ole Miss. Uh, so until then, um, take care, everybody. Uh, stay safe through the snowstorm if you're in the, uh, the greater Midwest area, uh, particularly in Missouri where, where, where I am. I don't know if you're getting any, any of that snow, Matt, but we are about to get hammered. Um, and hopefully we have that spot to watch. So until then, thanks for tuning in. And everybody, stay safe.